We spent several weeks talking about uh, the, the game changer and talking about prayer. And so let's look in Luke chapter 22, verse 39. And you'll see a time when Jesus was praying. It says, he came out, in verse 39, and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This is a key fundamental way we approach God with this understanding that we are here to do his will, not our will. And we need to lay all of our things before him with this kind of an attitude. God, let your will be done. Do you know God's will is better for us than our own? Amen. Amen. I prayed for a lot of things that I'm glad God said no to. Anybody else ever do that? Six months later, you're looking back going, thank you, God, for saying no to that. Let his will be done. Verse 43, and there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Father, we thank you for your word and pray You'd let us capture this understanding of our relationship with you today. Lord, you are great and mighty. You are our righteous and holy one. And we're so thankful for the relationship that you offer us. Let us not neglect that relationship, but let us seize it and be formed into the image you'd have us to be formed into in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, This morning, let me just give you the basic message of John the Baptist, the basic message of Jesus, the basic message uh, of Paul, the basic message of the apostles and the Bible. Here it is. You're going to stand before God someday and you're not ready. That's, that's, That's what it boils, that's the first step. Now, that's not just you, that's all. We're all in that same boat together. This is one overall concept that is right for every one of us, our children, our grandchildren. We're going to stand before God someday, and we're not ready. And we can't get ourselves ready. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to pay the price for us so that we could stand before God with his covering over our lives. And we are therefore ready because of what Jesus does for us. Jesus adds to that and he tells us something about this new relationship with God. He says, not only can you now be ready to stand before God, but you can do better here. You can begin to live a new life here as we enter into relationship with God. Jesus demonstrates and teaches about this one-on-one relationship with the Father. You and the Father, you and the Spirit of God, you and Him. This one-on-one relationship with God that's available to all, all people. Now, being a pastor, I've talked to a lot of people about church and a lot of people about religion of all kinds of different backgrounds in, 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 in life and talked to teenagers and young people. And a lot of times somebody will say, well, you know, I, I just get, I'm bored. I'm bored. 
I used to feel really challenged by that, but I soon learned that no matter how entertaining I get or we get or how creative the service is, it doesn't help. See, because it's not about the answer to what we're looking for. It's not about our religious activity. It's about knowing God. It's about being in relationship with God. Not just conceptually knowing that God exists, but discovering personally his presence and his will in our life. The whole opening story of the Bible about Adam and Eve reminds us that we were made to walk with God, to be in God's presence. And what we're reminded of is that the work of Jesus, when that door got closed, the work of Jesus reopens that door so that we can walk again with him. But you can only discover the depth of that by knowing the word of God and hearing the voice of God in prayer. That is where the light comes in, comes on in our lives, and where all of the things that we do as Christians suddenly are infused with life. It's because now instead of us doing religious things, we are in relationship places with God, and relationship, that Spirit of God moves in our life. For most people, prayer time is uh, one of a couple of things. It's a, a formal ritual that we walk through by praying and repeating the same prayers over and over again. Or it may be a list of things that we want to have happen that we say, okay, I'm going to ask God to help me do this, kind of like a Santa Claus list that we want God to respond to. Or it's a desperate plea for a need. What Jesus demonstrates was that prayer leads us into this relationship with God. Not just a list of things. He, He teaches us that we can pray about things, but he teaches us to pray. And when he teaches us, he tells us to spend time honoring his name, worshiping his name, thinking about who he is in our life, and inviting him into our life, and he teaches us to ask for his will to be done in our lives as it is in heaven. The greatest work of prayer, the greatest work of prayer, isn't that we get a new job or that we get a raise or that somebody does what we want them to do. The greatest work of prayer is faith building in our life and life and a life purifying relationship with God. The greatest work of prayer is what God does in us and how God reorders us and how we learn to walk in his presence. So you say, well, pastor, uh, does my life need purified? The simple answer is yes, it does. So does mine. The story that we just read today is just before the crucifixion. He's about to be arrested. He knows what's about to happen. He's predicted what is going to happen. And he goes uh, with the disciples to this place where he goes to very regularly. And he's going to spend some time there uh, praying. And he compels, tells the disciples to pray with him. 
and they do something that we see the church do many, many times. They sleep through the crisis. They sleep through the moment. As you read the various stories, Jesus comes to them several times while they are asleep and awakens them and compels them again and again. Pray so you won't enter into temptation. This is a very practical teaching of our life. There are some real benefits. This is what I want to talk to you about today. There are some real benefits of one-on-one prayer. You and God praying. This is why we've asked you to make a pledge to make an appointment with God and keep it throughout these 35 days. And again, I would tell you, I, I hope that doesn't end in 35. I hope you just get started and continue with that appointment with God. That you continue to talk to him. You continue to open up your life to him. But let, me, let me just share a couple of the very important benefits of you praying and seeking God. And one of them is stated right here. It's victory over temptation. Victory, victory over ten, temptation produces in us a free and spirit-filled life. Jesus says to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. I, I just want to share with you how this works. In biblically-led prayer, we discover who God is. When you discover who God is, when you really begin to think about him and discover him, who he is, he's not like your big brother. He's not even like your dad. He's not just a step or two uh, more experienced than you. You begin to realize the awesome power of who God is, the awesome beauty of who he is, and the awesomeness of his wisdom and authority. We're supposed to be able to see that get a glimpse of that just by looking at creation around us. The thought that God created this earth and that he's created everything that we can see, that he's created us. You, 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 in prayer, you begin to get this sense of this awesome God that when every person, no matter how powerful they were on this earth, no matter how stubborn they are against God on this earth, that when they walk into his presence, every person's knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord. You may be arrogant enough to sit there and say, I will never do that, but you will, friend. You certainly will. When you see him in his glory, when you see God in his power, when you see God in in all that he is, you will be overwhelmed by the presence of God and you will wonder, why did I not surrender my life to him? Why did I not completely give my life to him? and follow him with all my heart. Why did I think I knew anything more? See, and that's what brings us to the second thing that we discover. We discover who we are. When you come into the presence of God, you begin to discover who we are. And we discover, what we discover is that we are broken. We discover that we need heal. We discover that many times we excuse our sin away, lie about our sin, fool other people about our sin, but we've never fooled God about our sin. We've never fooled God about what our nature's like. And when we, when we set the two side by side, it is, a, it is a staggering discovery to discover who we are. 
Now, Jesus comes into our life and he doesn't present us with a, a, an Old Testament moral code to establish a set of rules that you and I are, try, are gonna try to achieve but most likely will fail in and say, okay, this is what you gotta do to get it right. No, he uses the Old Testament law to show how far our heart is from God, how far our actions are from God. And I want to be clear on both. He shows us where our actions are far from him, but he also shows us where our heart is far from him. And when you see that in this one-on-one relationship with God, as you read his word, as you come into prayer with him, as you begin to worship him and you begin to see that and recognize it, it is staggering. It's impossible uh, to achieve. It's impossible to repair on our own, but that is the glory of who Jesus is to us. Jesus invites us into a relationship with God built on God's grace and Jesus's sacrifice that forgives our past, listen, and heals our hearts. This relationship changes us. Not by law, not by rules, not by some standard we write or somebody else has written, but it changes the desires of our heart and gives us freedom from our sin. As I've grown in Christ, there are many things that I've had to come to recognize that I have done in my life. Attitudes that I carried as a young man. Ways that I have treated people. That as I look back on them, I am completely ashamed of them. I wish they had not happened. If I could find a time machine and go back in time, I wouldn't do those things again. I would change the way I acted. I would change the way I talked. I would change so many of those things in my life. I was either not a Christian or a very young Christian at the time. And God was working in my life with his patience as he does. But listen, he does not leave us there. He calls us out of those things and begins to change our life. And that is as we look at those things and we recognize those things, we recognize the work of God in life. It's one of the signs that God's spirit is alive in us is that we see things that we wish we could repair. And maybe, maybe there's times we have opportunities. We have times we need to apologize to people or to <clears throat> make things right. And maybe there's other things, there's no way to repair them. But they're there. But here's the startling thing I've also discovered. I've discovered in my life that there are times when I, have, when I look back at things that I did uh, and, and, and things that took place in my life, that if I could roll the time back, huh, I'm not so sure I'd do them differently. I'm not so sure I could overcome that temptation. I know they were wrong, but my heart still leaps towards that thing and here's what I've learned about that temptation is defeated in prayer temptation is defeated in prayer now the truth is with some things I have to look at 
I'm not even tempted to do them anymore because the opportunity's not there. But if I was back at that age at that time, I don't know that if you planted, even with what I know now, in the, into that setting at times, if I would have victory over some of those attitudes and some of those things. Others I would. But I, 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 I made, as I look at that, I, I become this painfully aware that that cannot be pleasing to God. That cannot be the man God wants me to be. That cannot be the person. You may be sitting here today, maybe in discipline, you've ordered yourself out of some sin. That's honorable. We are to repent. We're to turn from sin. That may require us getting uh, accountability in our life. It may require a lot of different things in our life to really bring accountability in our life and to repent and turn from sin. But I want to challenge you today to not leave it there. To not leave that thing there. But to sit and say, listen, I have repented, I have turned from this, but boy, my heart still has this. I still desire some of this. There's some of this still in me. And not only am I called to be obedient, I am called for my heart to be changed. Victory over those desires is won in prayer. Victory over that thing is won in prayer. And, and listen, friend, listen to me, hear me. If, you're, if you've got something the Bible clearly says is sin, and you're doing that thing, you're continuing in that thing, you love and cherish that thing, that is a sign of a broken relationship with God. That's what it's a sign of. God may be patient with it for a while, but he is calling you to turn from it. He's calling you to repent from it and to turn away from it. You may have a pornography issue that nobody else knows about. And today God would say, turn from that thing. Get help. Turn from it. You may have an anger issue that only your family knows about. And God would say to you, nobody else knows. Church doesn't know. The rest of the world doesn't know. You know. Maybe a couple of your family members know. God would tell you to repent. He would tell you to turn from it. Whatever it might be in our life, he would tell us to turn. But then he would tell us, let me heal you in it. Let me deliver you from it. Let me change your heart in it. And that only happens in our one-on-one time with prayer. New life is discovered in prayer. Prayer becomes effective in our hearts as we ask God to change us, as we lay the thing before God and we say, God, you know I'm not doing this anymore. I've repented of this. I know what's wrong. But God, you know what's beating in my heart. You know what's going on in my spirit. You know what my heart longs for. And right now I've got victory over it, but I want total victory over it. And we begin to pray and ask God to heal our spirits. This is one of the great benefits of one-on-one prayer. This is why we tell you when you go into this appointment with God, take the first few minutes and worship God for who he is and ask him to heal you, to reveal to you who you are. You'll discover more about who God is and you'll discover more about who you are and you'll find victory in place. You'll see places where you have victory and you'll discover places where you're going to have victory. One-on-one in prayer. Now, here's the second thing one-on-one prayer does. We find wisdom and direction. 
not all of not all of you are cooks. I'm not really a cook, but uh, I've cooked things that didn't turn out right. Anybody else ever cook something that didn't turn out right? You know, it looks so easy. They give you this recipe. You kind of do what they say, and you get it. And it just doesn't taste like mom's, right? It just isn't the same. And finally, you go back and say, Mom, look at this recipe. I, I did exactly. Oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you to do this. Oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you this is how it's supposed to be done. You know, you, you get a few questions asked, maybe a few directions, and all of a sudden, it, it begins to, to get right. But before that, our foundation was faulty. And here's one of the truths about our life. The foundation of, of, of our wisdom is sand. It's built on sand. If it's built, if you're, the foundation of your wisdom is built on your feelings. Oh, I just felt like it was the right thing to do. Oh, you know, I just love them so much it must be right. You know, if you love them so much, it's got to be right, right? No. It can be really wrong. Oh, it feels good. It must be right. No, it can be really wrong. For some people, the foundation of their wisdom is money. Oh, this is going to make me more money. It, it, it may be the way they were raised. It may be life experience. Even though their life has been, you know, kind of a mess, somehow they, at this particular moment, they have miraculously figured out how to do it this time. And we rush right back into things built on a faulty foundation and the recipe turns up bad. The revelation of wisdom, wisdom is how we are to act. The revelation of of wisdom is built on three very simple biblical principles. One, it's built on the word of God itself. A thorough search of the word of God on any issue of my life to know what's important, whether that's raising my kids or conducting my marriage or conducting business, any, anything in life. What does the word tell me to do? A thorough search of the word to make sure that I'm doing what God says. The second thing, which comes right out of the instruction of God's word, the second principle is that we get good counsel. That we, we recognize that there are people around us who've been through these things and we trust them because they love us and because they're righteous, because they've had victory in these things, and we get good counsel. Now, there's a world of difference between good counsel and cheerleaders. You've heard me talk about this before. I want to restate it again. Cheerleaders are people who will cheer for you no matter what you do. No matter what you say, Yay, you're the greatest. Oh, we're so happy for you. We're thrilled for you. You're doing this. You're doing that. Oh, it's great. They're cheerleaders. We need some cheerleaders around every now and then. Cheerleaders are good. I've always liked cheerleaders. I married a cheerleader. So there you go. But when it comes down time to making big decisions, we need coaches. We need other people who can give us good counsel. The cheerleaders are jumping up and down and cheering for you. You need the coach to tell you what you really need to do. And you've got to recognize who the coaches are in your life. God tells us to get good counsel. Here's the third principle of of getting wisdom. One, 
Number three is prayer, this one-on-one prayer with God, an open-hearted prayer that says, God, let me sense and know what you want me to do. And I'm building this on your word. I'm building this on good counsel. All of these things are lined up now. Show me and give me freedom to know what, what you really want me to do, really wanting to hear from God in prayer and willing to accept anything in prayer. A couple of the biggest mistakes I've made in, in my life, I've come back to God and I've said, God, I, I, I read your word. God, I, I, I talked to counsel and <laughs> now God, this isn't working out so good. And in two of those cases in particular, God takes me to a specific place that I was at praying when God said, no, don't do it. Don't do it. And because, sometimes you can let the weight of counsel push you past what you're getting in prayer. And at the end of the day, it's got to be about prayer. That counsel can help you. Can help you. If it, it helps you discover something that's not biblical, then you, they, they've got it right. But sometimes it can look biblical and feel biblical and still be wrong. And the only way you're going to know that is if you listen to the voice of God. We've got to think this is what what the one-on-one prayer does for us. Finally, I would tell you this. Prayer gives you strength for the next day. The next hours for Jesus in this time were the worst you could imagine. He was going to be insulted. He was going to be spit upon. He was going to be hit, whipped, crucified. And when Jesus was in prayer getting ready for that moment, the Bible says the angels ministered to him. We don't need the angels to minister to us today. We pray and the Holy Spirit gives us counsel and strength and comfort and help. That's what the Holy Spirit's here for. And we meet with the Holy Spirit and we find that strength in our life in him. There are times when you can see the next thing coming. You know what it is. Maybe the last kid's leaving the house. Maybe mom and dad's pretty sick and it's not looking good. Maybe the job you have looks like it's going to close down, the career's going to come to an end, whatever it might be. And you can see it coming. You can see, boy, some tough times are are right ahead of me. Some big decisions are going to have to be made. In those moments, just like Jesus did when he had big decisions coming in front of him, You go to prayer and you begin to get strength and faith to be ready for the next big thing that's coming your way. But there are also times when we are hit by unexpected changes. We don't see them coming. All of a sudden they are thrust upon us. They roll into our life like a big storm. And Jesus teaches us that in the middle of the storm, prayer is where strength is found. Prayer is where we learn to walk in in the sustaining power of God. The psalmist teaches us that God is our refuge and our strength, that those who run to him will find comfort in his protection. How do we run to God? We run to God in prayer. We pour out our hearts and we wait for his strength 
The big storms come, but we find shelter for a moment. It may rage again the next day, but we run right back to our source and our strength. We go back to him again and again and again, and day after day after day, we find the strength of God moving in our life for us to move forward. Jesus teaches us how to pray so that we can have this new life and this new strength in him. One-on-one prayer is essential for victory. That's why making an appointment with God daily is so important. It should be our goal to grow in prayer, to learn how to pray, to learn how to be in this spirit. It should be the goal of moms and dads to teach their children how to pray so they can be strong in prayer. Have you ever set spiritual goals for your kids? We set all kinds of goals. Have you set spiritual goals? Here's one of them. I want my children to grow up knowing how to pray. Knowing how to seek him. Because friends, listen. This is about a relationship with God. This is about us being able to walk with God. It's not just about us coming to church once a week and, you know, putting in our time. It's about you learning how to have a relationship with God. God wants a relationship with you with you and fundamental to this relationship is your one-on-one time with God now we're going to meet tonight as a group and pray from 5 to 6 30 anybody wants to come can come out and join us I, I hope that you'll make some time every night this week we'll be here every night next week we'll be here come out during some of those times and just join us but absolutely Make an appointment with God and begin to build a relationship. Just go into it honestly. Go into it saying, God, pastor says I'm supposed to build a relationship with you. I don't even know how to do that. Listen, he's good at this. You don't have to be good at it. He's an expert at it. You don't have to know what to do. He knows exactly what to do. Just be honest and enter into a conversation with him. And tell him, God, I want to submit everything in my life to you. I want to be in the center of your will. Now listen, friend. If you're here today, you've asked Christ into your life. There's two very simple things about asking Christ into our life. We have to come to him and submit our life to him as Lord of our life. That means he makes the decisions. My flesh doesn't make them. My culture doesn't make them. He makes them. I'm just telling you, if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, I'm a Christian, and you've rejected his lordship in your life, you're in big trouble. You've rejected his lordship. And the enemy may be telling you and trying to soothe your conscience and tell you that, oh, God understands. Yeah, he does understand. He understands that you're living in sin. That's what he understands. He understands that you're in rebellion to him. And everybody else may be fooled, but God's not fooled. It's about a one-on-one relationship with him. And if he's been telling you and others have been telling you, you've got to get it right. You better get it right. This is understanding that God knows what's best for me, not me. He does. I submit my life to him because he, he knows what's best. That's the first step. And the second step is I just put my faith in Jesus to be my Savior. The Bible tells me that when I do that, I come under the grace covering of God. 
that he offers me grace. So, so, so somebody may ask, well, you know, what about somebody who's not doing well? And they, they, well, for instance, there's this process that when God speaks, you know what God's speaking to you about. I can't judge what God's speaking to you about. You know what God's speaking to you about. If he's speaking to you, there's clearly written things in his word, you better pay attention to him. Now, here's the deal. Um, you've got to sit and ask yourself, are you, are you walking in obedience to God? The Bible teaches that a real relationship with God begins with his spirit calling us and then us calling on the name of Jesus, us surrendering our life to him and putting our faith in him. And if you haven't surrendered your will and put your faith in him, then there's no relationship. We are invited into a one-on-one relationship with God And think about this. It begins with prayer. He challenges you. He convicts you. And you talk to him. And you tell him, I surrender my life to you. Be the Lord of my life. I put my faith in your son to be the savior of my soul. And he says, when we call on his name, we're saved. This relationship begins with prayer. And it continues with prayer. Let's stand together today. Father, my my prayer today is that my brothers and sisters in this room, uh, Lord, I know many of them take a relationship with you very seriously. I pray you just encourage them in that. Uh, They would flourish in it. Others, Father, may be taking it seriously, but they haven't really begun to make an appointment with you yet and to really make time with you and to really open their heart to be changed. And there's so much benefit in us spending time alone with you. And so, Lord, I, I pray you'd convict us and call us, and today we would hear this call to let you search out our hearts, to let you give us wisdom and direction. And Father, in times when we need strength to find it in you. So let us walk in the fullness of your will. Teach us and guide us. Now, Father, you know the condition of every heart in this room. And Father, there's someone here who needs to surrender their life to you today. Maybe they've been a Christian. Maybe, maybe they are a Christian right now, but they have, they're walking in rebellion and they're, they're in danger today call us to repentance maybe it's someone who's never surrendered their heart to you Lord let them know how much you love them and call them to you today speak to our hearts in Jesus name every head remain bowed every eye closed for just a moment you say pastor I, I need to get my heart right with God today I want to make sure I'm in a right relationship with him we just raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me today. Maybe, you, maybe you've been a Christian, but you've got some things going on in your life you know he's not pleased with. Maybe you've never been a Christian. You just raise your hand right now and say, Pastor, pray for me. Anyone here today, you just raise your hand and say, pray for me today. God bless you. God bless you. God bless any, anybody else today. God bless you. Hallelujah. God bless you. Bless the Lord. We're going to sing this song right now, and as we sing this song...